Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis.com podcast with another guest coming in from the Australian Open. So much has gone on in the past few weeks, but play is carrying on as scheduled with matches well underway in Melbourne. I'm Nina Pantic, and my co-host Irina Falcone will be on in a few moments, along with our guest, Sharon Fitchman. The 30-year-old Canadian was a junior phenom, and she turned pro as a teen, rising as high as number 77 in the world in 2014. But she began dealing with injuries and setbacks and completely stepped away from the game for two years. After some coaching and broadcasting, she made a comeback in just doubles in 2018. Rising back up the rankings fast, she has won two doubles titles in her second career and is currently ranked number 57. This week, she's playing in the Australian Open with Juliana Olmos. Sharon tells us everything about her journey down under and what it's been like to be a doubles specialist through all the chaos and uncertainty of the new normal. And she explains why she quit the tour and what it was that brought her back. All of us can learn from her zen-like, optimistic attitude as she continues to play the game she loves the way she wants to play it. Here's our interview with Sharon Fitchman. All right, Sharon, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you calling in from Australia. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, finally almost adjusted to the jet lag. Um, but other than that, it's, it's good. It's so nice to be here. I know that you traveled from Abu Dhabi. So can you take us through what your experience was like and dodging the full lockdown quarantine, finding out the news about your COVID test results? What's the process been like? Um, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been very eventful. So, you know, um, we obviously knew as players coming to Australia that Australia has stricter quarantine lockdown COVID related rules. So that wasn't a surprise. Um, you know, we were informed that there would be chartered flights from various, um, cities around the world. Uh, and it was great that ours is from Abu Dhabi because a lot of players were there competing. Um, the only thing that was kind of a new situation and, and learned, I guess, as we went was that, um, flights that happened to have a positive COVID case on them, would have to quarantine entirely. We were under the impression that only sections of the plane, like the plane would be sectioned off and that if there was a positive case in your section, then it would just be those people that would have to be um, in quarantine. However, um, it was kind of unclear. Apparently the uh, Tennis Australia Federation had said that they were hopeful that the, um, Health Ministry of Victoria, I guess, would rule in their favor that only a section of the plane would have to um, quarantine if there was a positive case. Um, but no, apparently the rule is if you're having a conversation with someone face to face for more than, I believe, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, um, then you're deemed close contact or if you're in the same room for over two or for two hours or more. And I guess an airplane is is classified as a room. So um, that was news to everybody when when we landed and realized that like entire flights had to quarantine. So that was really interesting. 
And I really feel for the people that have been put in hard quarantine. Um, actually, my doubles partner, Juliana Almos, um, her sister came from LA. So Juliana, Laura, my coach, and I came from Abu Dhabi. And um, Juliana's sister was meeting us here, but from a different flight. And that LA flight was the one that had to be quarantined. Um, so yeah, so that was really stressful because, uh, her and Juliana were in the same room for a day. So we were like, oh my gosh, like, you know, does that mean that Juliana also has to quarantine because her sister's deemed close contact, but, um, the rules are, and they are the same in Canada. We just weren't sure because they're obviously stricter here is that if you're a close contact of a close contact, then you don't have to quarantine. You're just deemed like a casual contact. Um, so they just got separated and her sister's been in the hard quarantine, but tennis Australia has been really like really accommodating to the best they can. Like they gave her sister a bike and bands to use. And it's like really, really nice. Yeah. She gets per diem for food. If like the food isn't what she's hoping for, cause they do deliver food for us three times a day. And it's like, you know, it's there, it's definitely improving and stuff, but like some people might be more picky than others. So, um, that's kind of the whole thing with, with the quarantine and not, we were very fortunate to be on a flight that didn't have any positive cases. Our flight was cleared. So we kind of, I think if we knew the, the repercussions, if we had a positive case, I'm sure we would be so much more stressed, you know, having the test afterwards and the results and stuff. And, um, but you know, in hindsight, like, you know, what could we have done? I'm sure the extra stress wouldn't have changed anything. You just have to deal with adversity, right? Exactly. So, so we're grateful. Um, but at the same time, you know, we are all choosing to compete in a pandemic. The rankings are, you know, frozen. Um, they use best of. So, you know, even if the situation gets strange and complicated and evolves over a tournament, like we all know that we need to expect the unexpected. We all know that regardless of the circumstance, there's a chance that we could be quarantined somewhere around the world. Like that's a risk that you take. Um, so I think that like, yes, it's unfortunate. Yes. It's difficult. I can't imagine how frustrated those players feel. However, we all know that like that is something that could very well happen to any of us. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hi, listeners. You're tuned into an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with doubles pro Sharon Fitchman. She's giving her take on all of the Australian Open drama. Keep listening for more. It's it's tough knowing when you get on a plane or get in a car, there's there's a chance. There's a chance. And, you know, you, you lead up to these events and you practice and you do all the work. How would you say you have to mentally prepare to know that added stress is like, is there at all times at any given moment. Yeah. I mean, everyone's different for me. I do a lot of yoga, <laughs> uh, breathing helps guys. Seriously, <laughs> Just breathe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does help, you know, to kind of figure out what, what you can kind of anchor to and feel and make that what makes you feel grounded. Um, those added stresses and pressures they're they're there because like, there's so much out of your control, especially with testing. Like, I know that the tests are supposed to be getting more accurate, but it's still not a hundred percent. So you never know, like you could, 
come back with a false positive or something or who knows what, but, um, you know, these are things you just have to accept that are out of your control and kind of, um, at least for me, I find that, that finding that like routine, that mental training routine for me, it's yoga and breath work and meditation, um, helps a lot. And also just for me anyways, it's really helpful to acknowledge the possible scenarios and accept that these are things that can happen. And then just agreeing with myself that should that happen, I will handle it. I will be okay. And I'm okay. You know, I can accept those consequences. I think if you're sort of just like aware of what can happen, but like not fully taking it in or believing that it'll happen to you, that I feel like can be a lot harder to deal with if you are put in that situation. That's very yogi-ish mentality right there. Yeah, well, I'm like a I'm like a modern day hippie. So I mean, I'm all about like, you know, breathe, peace, love, save the planet. That's my jam. Well, if anyone, yeah, sees so your Instagram, they know that you're dedicated to like eco-friendly and organic, I think even vegan. So as well, physically, yeah. you know, how yeah. have you maintained this in, in quarantine situations of keeping up with these routines that are very specific to you as nutrition physically? Yeah, I mean... I've been vegan now for three and a half years. Uh, I went, it was a gradual shift from being like predominantly plant-based to fully vegan. Um, and I feel great. My health has never been better. My blood work is really, really um, the best it's ever been. So for me, it's working really well. Um, I'm also just like a really big advocate for self-education. Um, I, you know, for many, many years, most of my life, really, I like the whole ignorance is bliss kind of attitude and then eventually kind of when your the wool is kind of like forced off your eyes you realize that there's a lot of things around the world that you might not be so cool with so when that happened that gradual shift became um you know permanent and the why for why I am um an environmental enthusiast and um, vegan became stronger so for me it's kind of as easy as breathing it's just what I do I do the idea of kind of living my life a different way. It's not even in the realm of possibility for me. Um, and in terms of, you know, keeping my body healthy and getting the nutrition I need, I mean, I think there's a lot of preconceived notions personally about having a plant-based or a predominantly plant-based diet, especially in 2021. I mean, I think like in the 1960s, uh, your options are a lot more limited having like maybe bread and ketchup or something. But um, nowadays, I mean, you can, you can eat, you can eat pretty much anything um, that's plant, a plant-based version of it anyways. Um, so for the most part, like just like everyone else, I do my best to have, or what I think they recommend anyways, uh, dietarily is that, um, you know, whole food, well-rounded diet, try and stay away from processed things. And then, yeah, anything that's animal-based, I, I won't touch uh, for, for health and ethical reasons. Um, and honestly, Australia is great with that. I find that there's a ton of vegan options, like no shortage of that whatsoever. It's obviously becoming more and more recognized around the world. I think, um, kind of the increase in, for example, in like veganuary is like hundred or 200 or 300% from last year. And the numbers keep going as the education and kind of research is put out there. So I'm fortunate to be living in a day and age where I have the access to be able to have plant-based food. So I'm not complaining. Um, the tournament's very accommodating and they're delivering those plant-based meals. They're good. And I'm very grateful. Yeah. Our forefathers struggled so we can have, you know, vegan burgers and all these creative things that they're, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I, I totally know what you mean. 
That's awesome. That's that, awesome. that started about three and a half years ago. So that would have been kind of in the midst of your break. Because for those who don't know, you were an absolute baller junior. You turned pro. And then you were on tour until about 2016. You took about a two-year, almost exactly two-year hiatus, came back in 2018. And now you're mostly playing doubles. So what can you maybe summarize for us the process of you leaving the game and then coming back into it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I stopped in 2016. And I was kind of like really going through a lot personally and also physically. Um, I was in a training situation. I probably should have left earlier than I did. And that, that was causing a lot of mental stress, which kind of led to injuries. I tore my knee, I blew out my ankle and I was just really struggling to stay healthy and compete. So that was very frustrating. And my ranking dropped from like, you know, the top well in the relatively well in the top hundred consistently to uh you know 200s 300s being in qualities of of challengers etc and I just mentally wasn't ready to kind of go through that grind again um so I was just kind of having to weigh whether or not I really wanted to be competing still or if I really had the drive to to push through it and and I didn't I I initially just decided I was going to take a month off um completely not play tennis, just kind of take some time for myself. And the month felt so good. It just continued for two years. Um, but my return to sport was inspired by my now fiance, who was a former um, Olympic figure skater. And uh, he had a really, really horrible career ending accident that happened um, at the end of 2017 in December, 2017, right. Just weeks before the, um, the Olympics in Pyeongchang. So he almost, uh, he had a very serious accident while I happened to be on the phone during it. Um, and he kind of, he was concussed and uh, badly injured and um, he missed the Olympics, which was really frustrating. He wanted to go for the second time. So when that happened, I was inspired to go back and play and aim to make the Tokyo Olympics because his dream was to go to two Olympics. So I thought, well, I'll do my best to go to Tokyo. And if I go, then he can come with me and he can fulfill his goal of being at two Olympics. I know it's not the same, but um, that was my inspiration and motivation uh, to come back. That's awesome. And then when you came back, was there any inclination uh, of also playing singles or were you just focused, you know what, I'm just going to stick with doubles and that's it? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, there was no inclination to play singles. I honestly, to be completely transparent I had to learn how to love competing again I really liked coaching I truly love coaching and I do I definitely see myself wanting to do that when I do retire again (laughs) um but it was a struggle to really kind of find love and and peace and happiness in in competing in tennis I love training I like being on court um but the competition part of it was difficult because of the last kind of couple of years from 2015, 2016, all the adversity I was going through. And, um, and it was a process. So for me, you know, doubles is more enjoyable for me in the sense of like, it it just feels uh, kinder on my heart and my soul. When I play, I I don't feel like I'm as hard on myself. Um, I'm definitely kinder to, to my partner, which makes me kinder to myself. So um, that was easier. And, uh, and then, you know, once I kind of started to feel happier on court and happier competing as a professional tennis player, again, 
Um, I did play singles once. I got a wild card. Um, I played okay. Uh, it was nice to be back out there. I had a tough opponent. Um, and I could see myself doing it kind of as something like, you know, if I got back, if I got in a draw and I signed in and I happened to get in on site, then definitely I could see myself like just signing up and playing. Whereas before I didn't even sign in. I was like, I don't want to play even if I get the opportunity. Um, but, you know, to kind of start all over again, um, I didn't, I don't have a special ranking for singles. I lost that. So I'd have to start truly in like challengers and in this day and age with COVID, like there aren't any, uh, I'd have to, you know, get my body used to it. My Achilles aren't as, um, springy as they used to be. They actually hurt every day. So, um, I, I just, it would be a lot. And I don't think I'm kind of, um, you know, wanting to, to go through that grind of, of trying to do that. You talked about your Achilles and going from singles to doubles. It's also a little better on your body. It's, it it's, it's half a court. <laughs> it's half a court and the points are even shorter and, mm-hmm. you know, less time, deuce deciding point, super breaker, let's get it over with. So um, <laughs> it is kinder on my body for sure. Yeah. What about now that you're focused on doubles primarily, you have a different perspective having been a singles player before. What do you see or think when you see singles players who jump into doubles draw, you know, like really top 10, top 20 names that kind of just pile in last minute. And so they're just playing to have a little bit of fun, but here you are trying to make a career out of it. So what's your take on that? I mean, I think it's, I'm, I I understand it because I used to do that. I, I took, you know, doubles, any, any match I was playing on court, uh, very seriously, I might be like, you know, 10% looser in doubles when I was prioritizing singles, which is, you know, I can be very dangerous. Um, but I just feel that that's, that's part of the sport. I'm, you know, I, for better, for worse, I kind of have the mentality in my life of being like, well, this is the way things are. So you just got to like toughen up and figure it out. Whereas some people, you know, and I feel like, you know, it could be a pro and a con in the sense that like, oh, you know, maybe, if I thought harder, I could like find a solution for, for things that are, that seem a little bit adverse to deal with, but I'm more like, no, just figure it out. And I just, I kind of accept that. Like, no, that's the sport. Like people will get in from time to time and that's just how it is. You got to play. Um, and, and, uh, is there a different solution or something? Maybe, I don't know, but I, at the same time, I think like it is what it is. Those players sometimes maybe in reverse, they only prioritize singles and um, their rankings kind of went up a lot faster on that side, but it doesn't mean that they don't want to play doubles. Maybe they would have loved to play doubles had that situation worked out. Just like there are doubles players that happen to have early success in their career in that regard. And then, you know, they're being forced to choose between singles and doubles and kind of neglect singles when they truly would love to be out there. So, um, you know, it's kind of like there isn't a perfect system, but I think, you know, having people be able to compete and play tennis and want to play doubles is not a bad problem. That's a very mature answer. Nina, we got to start doing yoga. That's what I <laughs> yeah. realized we have to do. <laughs> <laughs> breathe, girl, breathe. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to an interview with special guest Sharon Fitchman on the tennis.com podcast. She's sharing why she quit tennis and returned as a double specialist. Keep listening. Such a Zen mindset. So then I feel like I already know the answer to this, but have you come to peace then with your singles career being over? You, you know, you were top hundreds for the rest of your life. You're gonna be labeled like, you know, former top 100 Sharon Fishman in singles. They always kind of go singles first as well. Like, no matter what you do in doubles, it feels like anyway, have you come to peace with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Uh, do I believe that my ranking could have been higher in singles? I do believe that, but I also do believe that if the situation hadn't unfolded the way it did in my life, I might've never reached that. Um, I accept that things happen the way they ought to happen. Maybe not the way you hoped or planned. Um, and I also am very grateful for where I am in my life. Um, you know, if I didn't go through the adversity and the things that I did, uh, in the past, I wouldn't be who or where I am today. I wouldn't maybe be with my fiance, who's kind of the reason that I smile so much every day. And uh, I'm very grateful I wouldn't change that. So I also believe that, you know, the future is unknown. Who knows what can happen? And and I think that, you know, tennis and, and everything we do in sport is temporary. It's not, it's certainly not who we are. It's what we do. It helps shapes us, shape us as people. But I think it's really important to build the person before you build the athlete. And I'm 100% at peace with with my past and my decisions at the time I did the best I could with what I know or with what I knew. Sorry. So, um, I have accepted that I'm, I'm proud of that. And I just will try and keep doing that as I get older. That's awesome. Well, I mean, speaking, it sounds like you get very glowy and gushy when you start speaking about your fiance. So I feel like we have to mention (laughs) him, uh, obviously with the pandemic, I understand that you know, a lot of things were postponed, including maybe your wedding planning and everything. Is there a date in the future? Are we going to be seeing it anytime soon? I know it's a lot of unknowns, but is it something that you're looking forward to for this year? I mean, we're definitely looking forward to it. We had our plans change a couple of times. Um, originally non-COVID reasons, we were actually planning to get married in 2021, this year, actually, February. But uh, we kind of re rejigged what we wanted to do. It was supposed to be this huge, ginormous, obnoxious thing with like hundreds of people. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. Um, so we, we quickly changed that. And then COVID hit because we were then kind of looking at the idea of eloping, going um, maybe to South Africa because Dylan has family there and kind of making it like a, a wedding and a honeymoon at the same time. And then you know, with COVID that made a lot of things very challenging. Um, So now we're sort of revisiting the topic because the pandemic obviously has a lot more time under its belt. Uh, We would love to get married, um, you know, sooner rather than later. But at the same time, we both are really, are really adamant that we'd like at least our close um, family and relatives, uh, family, friend group, etc. And there are some people in our family that are very, that are in, you know, vulnerable age category, um, for example, and don't feel comfortable being in a group. And we, we just don't really want to do it without totally them. So, Yeah. So we're, we're weighing our options. We're kind of like revisiting it as the time goes. But um, I think at the very least, we can say we'd like a smaller wedding. And uh, we're hopeful that, you know, maybe end of this year, 
uh, I don't want to say for sure next year because you never know with kind of the world. You never know. But, but uh, our goal would be to get married, I would say, by the end of 2022. Gosh, that's so far. We've been engaged a while. So, <laughs> so. we got to give, <laughs> we gotta give <laughs> Dylan a proper shout out. Your fiance's name is Dylan Moscovich, and he happens to be a former <laughs> ice skating professional. And he appears in the Netflix show called Spinning Out which I loved. He was a body double and he was also like, he had a few cameos. I mean, it must be cool to see your fiance or boyfriend at the time on Netflix. Like that's incredibly cool. Yeah. I was really proud of him. Like he's, you know, it was so funny. He, (laughs) he went from figure skating, he went from being a professional athlete, which as both of you know, is like the odds of being successful. in that is like insanely small Mm -hmm. to something that's like arguably harder like being an actor (laughs) I feel like you know I I almost always say like you know when you finish tennis you can pretty much do almost like anything easier but of course he picks like one of the only things that (laughs) might debatably be more difficult to succeed in you did some broadcast tv stuff as well is that what you plan on getting back into when you do eventually retire though I'm not sure if you have a timeline for what you're setting yourself for the second career but Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I love it. Like getting paid to talk about tennis was great. Um, sign me up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, that was sort of like a natural, um, a natural kind of progression. I, I like the camera, um, Sportsnet. Thankfully I had some, um, some good kind of rapport with them and, and there was as well, just very luckily kind of a spot for me to, to, to jump in and, and give me a try and it worked out. So that's something that like seemed quite organic at the time. Uh, definitely not like acting. That's not really been a calling for me. Like if that happens to be something that ends up, you know, just falling into my lap, sure. I'll give it a shot, but um, yeah, definitely broadcasting for tennis is something that I I love to do. Uh, Dylan though was like, you know, I want to be an actor. I've always wanted to. And I guess, you know, figure skating is a weird sport. Like you're a professional athlete, but then you're also a performer and an artist. Right. So it's this like Mm -hmm. kind of strange blend that makes like for incredible people uh big personalities and he just loves to perform so that's kind of his avenue and he's kind of involved into like writing as well so he's writing some scripts and he's um he's really kind of dove into the whole artistry aspect um of of life which is which is great I'm really happy for him and he's figuring that all out he's having a great time and I'm super proud of him well Well, he's been a big part of your career so it makes sense yeah. yeah. Well, Sharon, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. It has been an absolute joy to speak with you. We look forward to seeing how you do in the Australian Open and the rest of your uh, season. And uh, here's to just negative tests for the rest of, the rest of your career. Yeah. Stay positive, test negative. Yeah. There say. we go. <laughs> Sharon, you're thanks, awesome. Girl. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys, so much. Thanks for having me. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.